0: Greetings, welcome to Against the Grain, I'm Mike Lindgren, and today we are welcoming back to the show Patricia Stratton. Uh, Patricia has just published her book, uh, The Chicago Picasso, A Point of Departure, and the book is of course about the monument in Daly Plaza, the uh, Picasso sculpture that was erected in 1967 and is therefore going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary this summer. And of course, Patricia's book is scheduled to be published uh, in alignment with that, so it's going to be a very uh, nice summer of uh, Picasso-oriented events. So, Patricia, thank you for uh, talking to us again.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: So, uh... Tell us again, just uh, really quickly, a little bit of the background about the book. Uh, I understand that you were here in Chicago when the sculpture was first unveiled on that day in 1967.
1: That's true. I worked on LaSalle Street at Washington. It's just a block away from the corner of the plaza where the Picasso was going up. There was a curtain built around it, a wooden curtain, so that the public could not see what was going on. The pieces had been transported from Gary, Indiana, and then they were reassembled on the site under secrecy. No one could see what was going on. It just added to the drama of the unveiling day on August 15, 1967.
0: So, Patricia, you uh, you had you, in your book here, and I'm holding it, and it's a, it's a beautiful book indeed. Uh, wh- what I like is you kind of tell the story of how this whole thing came to happen. And uh, could you tell us uh, a little bit about what makes the, the sculpture so important? I mean, we get a sense that it really was kind of a breakthrough uh, for American cities even. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know what its importance is?
1: Well, I think uh, architecture had changed. Uh, the international style with clean geometric buildings, they were tall, they were being erected in the cities on blocks that had been cleared, that were, you know, had gotten pretty to- run down. Cities were revitalizing. So these new tall buildings had big plazas around them. The cities hoped that people would gather in these plazas, um, maybe take lunch there. Uh, so they wanted it to be a friendly place. And in Chicago, they had a little, a, what's a good-sized fountain, but uh, the plaza is almost three acres of granite. So that's a pretty cold environment with a 648-foot-tall building, a uh, geometric building, rising out of it so they needed to have something that would break the distance between the height of the pedestrian and the height of the building. Mm. Something to humanize the plaza so people felt more comfortable. This sculpture being so large was so different from the traditional statues that people were used to seeing in public areas. Very often men on horseback Uh, memorials to generals or politicians so this was huge and it wasn't in a park and it was a big change for all sculpture it was the first monumental sculpture in this country in Chicago of course but in this country even at the Seagram building which was a Mies building in New York they tried at first a Henry Moore it was too small. The scale was too small for the big Miesian building.
0: So again, we're here with Patricia Stratton. We're talking about the Chicago Picasso, a point of departure, which uh, you can learn more about at chicagopicasso.com. That is the website for the book. Uh, Chicago, Picasso, one word, dot com. And so, uh, Patricia, one thing uh, that you learn in the book is that this uh, sculpture, unlike many other things uh, these days, it actually ended up not costing the taxpayers of Chicago anything, if I understand.
1: Oh, it, it did not. And because it had such a mixed reaction when it was first out and it unveiled and available for people to see... I mean, people would not have wanted public money to be spent on this at that time. But Picasso actually gave his maquette, which is another, is the French word for the model of the sculpture, he gave that to the Art Institute of Chicago. And he gave the right to enlarge it to monumental size to the people of Chicago. So then there were the construction costs, and the architects had thought, oh, great, we've got this great gift, this is wonderful. And he he refused a check that the architects had taken. They had taken um, a city check, and he said no. And they were afraid he wasn't going to do the whole deal. But no, he said, it's a gift, it is my gift.
0: So, Patricia, again, uh, you know, I was down uh, there yesterday and I spent a lot of time looking at, at the sculpture, at the monument. And uh, really, uh, it's just, it, even after all these years, it's such a striking uh, piece of work and uh, really quite marvelous in, in every way, I think. Um, but, you know, one thing that kind of you'd hear people say over and over again is that they're not really sure exactly what it is. It has a face, what appears to be a face, but. It's very much in that kind of cubist style, so what's uh, do you have any insight on on the identity of it?
1: Well, I've done some research, and of course I enjoyed hearing what the people said at the time. Some people thought it was a baboon, a giant insect, some people thought it was a nun. one alderman said, I think it should be Ernie Banks. We love Ernie Banks here. We don't want this thing here. Um, but if you take and look at it carefully, particularly if you go around to the side from either side, not the frontal view, you can see the outline of a profile. And with, so you can see the long nose, the lips, and then the people think those big things on each side, those big metal plates could be hair, could be wings I guess Mayor Daly kind of hoped those were the wings of justice <laughs> for his courthouse building, but most people think that those are pieces of hair, and that it's definitely a woman with this long flowing locks of hair, and most likely would be a sculpture of his wife, Jacqueline. He spent the last 20 years of his life with her, and most all of his life, he would have the woman who had become his muse, his mistress or his wife, would be in all his work, in all media. And he lived with Jacqueline for the last 20 years. He was living with her, and they were married at this time. And so I think it's undoubtedly Jacqueline. There are also a few small metal sculptures from the same period. Uh, One that Jacqueline gave after his death to a museum in Iceland that is actually named Jacqueline. And it has a kind of greenish-yellow headband. And then the hair falls back, just like any woman's hair does if you pull it back. It's definitely... Very similar to our piece here in Chicago. I think, uh, you know, Picasso never named it, which added to the controversy. And in one of his rare statements about our sculpture here in Chicago, he said, I am touched that the public could mysteriously share my joy over the years of my work in sculpture. In a way, my sculptures are more my children than my paintings. In sculpture, I cut through appearances to the marrow and rebuild the essentials from there. My wish is that the public, through thinking and meditation, may retrace my intentions.
0: Patricia, I want to thank you so much for talking to us today. Congratulations on a beautiful book. Uh, Again, it's Patricia Stratton. Uh, She is the author of The Chicago Picasso, A Point of Departure. Uh, You can buy the book uh, online, if you like, at chicagopicasso.com and uh, you'll, I think, find that it is a beautiful book that tells a fabulous story. So again, thank you.
1: It was my Uh, pleasure.
0: Good talking to you.